0: It's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the studio at the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my Missouri School of Journalism colleagues. We've got Kathy Kiley and Ron Kelly. On our program this week, Jeff Zucker's ouster from CNN and how people on the inside are reacting. Mm -hmm. Also, Joe Rogan, more apologies now about his use of racial slurs and talking about where he saw certain movies, again, with racist comments included. Still, Spotify stands behind him in their exclusive distribution deal. And the game that's got everyone guessing it now belongs to the new york times there's a lot more that hopefully we'll get to before our half hour is up today but we're going to start with the growing tensions between russia and ukraine Analysts say Vladimir Putin will have to decide soon whether to order an invasion or pull his troops back. But even if he does, it said he's playing the long game to reverse Western influence in Ukraine. The tension here is real, Kathy, but it's hard to tell how well it's really playing out or how that message is reaching Americans, based on what we see in our coverage here.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it's a bigger story in Europe, and uh, one of the interesting things about it is that. Uh, the Europeans are doing exactly what American presidents, for uh, several, several, at least several going back, have wanted them to do, which is take more of a lead um, in policing their own backyard. And so now you see um, Emmanuel Macron, the, who is not just the president of France, but he's also the president of the European Union. That's a rotating job, so he's kind of taken the lead and gone over. And I thought the the best photo of the week. Was the picture of him and Putin? This is one of those classic. The picture tells speaks mm-hmm. a thousand words. At the either end of it, it looked like a twenty foot table uh, having a frank and friendly discussion. Evidently, but um, but Macron is running for re-election, and there's a lot of speculation that he may actually suffer a backlash because the French would prefer that he be focusing on domestic economic problems. Uh, but clearly. Uh, somebody's got to do something, otherwise um, Putin is just going to grab another piece of Ukraine. He, he did it already, um, so uh, somebody has to step in.
2: And I think with our coverage here in the United States, I think um, when it comes to international news or news about war or about news about other countries mm-hmm. fighting each other, if it doesn't have a direct impact on Americans, we have a tendency to tune it out. And I think this is one of the cases here. And it also depends on where the the source information uh, we're getting our information from. I think Americans get their information from so many different sources and platforms, and it depends on how those sources are getting that information out about the Russia and Ukraine s- situation. It depends on how they are playing it up or how much information they're putting out about it. Depends on whether or not Americans are really paying attention to this.
0: One of the things that made a bit of a splash here regionally, um, had to do with that um, conversation as to whether the Biden administration should support Ukraine's admission into NATO. And Illinois representative Adam Kinzinger had some statements he had made that Josh Hawley had responded to that led the St. Louis Post-Dispatch to write an editorial this weekend that said a whole lot about our senator.
1: Yes, it did. (laughs) And so did the White House press secretary. Yes. (laughs) I'm
2: not even sure how to comment on that, really. There was a very astute observations from the uh, St. Louis Um, Post-Dispatch. I think they were kind of spot on anyway.
0: As we look at the um, influence, say, that Josh Hawley has right now, as we're about to also start a Senate race to replace Roy Blunt, How much does an editorial like that perhaps sway voters or call attention to the direction of Republican leadership that's representing our state uh, on the federal level? Well, it'll
1: be interesting to see how the voters respond. I mean, one thing that Hawley has going in his favor is he has a number of years, like four and a half years before he has to face the voters again. My guess is that he was trying to, and he may actually enjoy this, he's getting a lot of attention, he gets Mm -hmm. national attention. uh, And I'm sure the fact that as a Republican and as a conservative, he's getting bashed by the Biden White House, that probably uh, seems to him to be a feather in his cap. But there is something Alice in the looking glass about all of this. I mean, here's the Republican Party that used to be proudly the party of law and order, saying a week or so ago that uh, a riot in the Capitol was a, a legitimate expression of public uh, concern. And then you now have them, this was the party that was always anti-communist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, and Holly's kind of suggesting, well, maybe we shouldn't be so rough on Vladimir Putin. Um, and I would think that certainly most traditional Republicans would want to draw a line in the sand and say, no, we're not going to let him have a further incursion into this country. I mean, this is Vladimir Putin who poisons his uh, political opponents. He invades other countries. He, uh, he has a puppet in Belarus who downed a commercial jetliner just so he could grab a journalist who, whom he didn't like. So, you know, Vladimir Putin is not exactly—there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of nuance on the issue of Vladimir Putin. So I, I don't know that in the long run this is a, is a plus for Hawley, um, but, but we'll see. I mean, people—I think he's probably betting on the fact that people are tired of foreign interventions, that they'd rather their leaders focus on problems at home. Although I have to say he has a different standard when it comes to China. He's very tough on China. Because yeah, of how yeah.
0: Xi Jinping, I mean, yeah. like, you talk about another photo of the week. It's the uh, Olympic opening ceremonies with Xi Jinping and and Vladimir Putin sitting there next to each other with the IOC president to the, to the other side.
2: And it seems like he lacks some historical context mm-hmm. um, Josh Hawley? If yes, he, he, yes, yeah. uh, regarding uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine and the issues surrounding that. Uh, and I think someone, some of the people that have been commenting about that spoke about him not having that context because of his age, uh, and that plays into some of the things he's been talking about.
1: Well, he did go to some really top schools, so you would think even if age is a factor, you <laughs> might know. have read some history Exactly. Books?
0: Or learn from people yeah. who were there. Or, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Because he goes against what the, the traditional yeah. Republicans usually mm-hmm. would have stance yeah. and on. And
1: it really does seem to be a double standard when it comes to China and Russia, Russia in yep. his mind. And I don't understand why that is. Yep.
0: Okay. So it has been a week since Jeff Zucker's resignation at CNN. And it's still making headlines as that network's stars continue to praise his leadership and vision. Am I missing something here? Because, Kathy, this is... I don't know. This is... The guy who wasn't up front about a romantic relationship that he was having with a subordinate. This was the guy who we spent much of the uh, the summer and the fall talking about how he had to get out in front of the Andrew Cuomo, Chris Cuomo thing. This is the guy who let Jeffrey Tubin back on the air after the incident at um, his other employer where he was caught pleasuring himself on a, a Zoom call. So... What am I missing here? Like could he have been that wonderful leader and I, I don't know, I don't get it. Well, these are all people he hired or uh, <laughs> whose salaries he helped
1: pad. So But he's not um, doing
0: it anymore.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you hundred percent.
0: One of the other things, Ron, that I found mildly amusing. Um, Brian Stelter, in one of his comments, he actually said this on Reliable Sources on Sunday, CNN isn't going anywhere. Well, take that headline out of context. You're also looking at Jeff Zucker's uh, legacy at CNN being one of routinely redesigning a failing morning show, creating a strategy that put Donald Trump on TV every mm-hmm. single day, at, at several times a day during a campaign that led to 2016 to 2021 here in the United States. CNN isn't going anywhere. That's a pretty ugly... Uh, Headline was taken out of context. Yeah,
2: it seems like this is more of a business decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think um, Warner Media, they you know Discovery is getting ready. They're getting ready to merge with Discovery, and I think they just want to clean up the mess Mm -hmm. uh, with Zucker and I think the Cuomo um, fiasco. uh, And I think they just kind of wanted to clean all that out uh, to make the merger easier and to go through with that and just start new. Uh, once Discovery takes it over. That's my sense of it, anyway, uh, that that's kind of what they wanted to do.
1: Well, and it's interesting that um, one of the top executives of uh, Discovery is saying that he wants CNN to go back to um, more news reporting, because I think one of the legacies um, that you're talking about, Amy, is that um, CNN kind of followed Fox's lead and tried to become Fox's opposite and so the evening uh, cable shows ha- are now as, just as opinionated, yes. And I think you know we'll see. It, it's clear that outrage sells, opinion sells, but um, I don't know. I think there are a lot of people who really do yearn for some straight news, and um, and we'll see if the the takeover uh, moves in that direction. That's the indication. Uh, the that one of these executives gave, so we'll see if it works.
2: Yeah. I would agree because I have f- I found it harder to harder, harder and harder to watch CNN and mm-hmm. the Evening Times because it has become so opinionated. Yeah, uh, It's not really news, it's all about uh, giving commentary about different topics and issues.
1: Well, and this is true, I think, across the board with cable, yeah. that after about seven o'clock at night, yes. it just becomes bloviation of talking head bloviation. Yep. And here's what I think. Well, yep. who really cares? Yeah. I'd much, it's a lot cheaper to do that, to, to put somebody or somebody's in a studio and, and opine than it is to actually send reporters, producers, camera people out into the country to do stories about what's going on. Um, but I, it, I I find it, un, I'm, I'm with you, Ron, I found it unwatchable. Yeah.
2: And it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, CNN+, Plus, mm-hmm. the new streaming services that, that they're talking about. Uh, with the merger, what happened to that? Uh, and- Because I'm still skeptical about whether or not people will buy a streaming service for news. I'm Um, I'm
0: very skeptical about that because if they're not tuning in or they're not tuning in at the same rates at least that they once were for it on television each night... What are the chances they're going to want it on demand and pay extra for exactly, that as yeah. they're continuing each of these a la carte subscription services? One of the other things I find interesting about this is that at least currently, there's a triumvirate of three people now running the network. Mm-hmm. What have your experiences been in that leadership by committee type of a situation? And, and is that likely to, to... Kathy, you're making faces before <laughs> no. I can even get the sentence out.
1: It's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, th- they tried that at CBS. It's mm-hmm. not going to work. And I think you have to have one leader, and uh, and so it'll, it'll just be another painful shakeout period. And that's not what news organizations need right now. They need some clear leadership. Yeah, okay.
0: So there were a few stories that I had wanted to talk about on last week's show, but due to the snowstorm, we weren't on the air. This week, They're still relevant, and I want to take some time to talk about them. The first is the testimony that's now underway in the case of Palin versus The New York Times. Former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin is suing the paper for defamation, and it all goes back to an editorial that was published in July uh, 2017 which was connected to the shooting of Republican members of Congress who were practicing baseball. It connected it to that shooting in Arizona from back in 2011 that critically injured Gabby Giffords. And when referring to the Arizona incident, the editorial said the shooter was politically incited by a map that was circulated by Palin's Political Action Committee. Now, this trial was initially set to start a few weeks ago, which is why it's been on our rundown of topics for three weeks now. Um, That was delayed by Sarah Palin's positive COVID diagnosis. And really now after the jury selection, the the trial is really underway with editors at the New York Times coming and talking, testifying in that way. Sarah Palin's own attorneys say this is going to be an uphill battle to win this defamation case.
1: It's scary for the news media, though, because um, this is a frontal attack on uh, New York Times v. Sullivan, which is one of the seminal cases in uh, media law. And prior to that 1964 decision, Mm -hmm. um, you could be sued anywhere in any state. And I read a really interesting biography of Drew Pearson, the muckraking columnist, who kept getting sued and he would pay his own money to defend these Mm -hmm. lawsuits. But you had to have deep pockets to do that. And if you are exposed uh, to frivolous libel libel suits, it's one thing if you're the New York Times and you can hire the attorneys. If you're a regional newspaper or a regional TV station or a regional radio station, you might just walk away from the story rather than risk being hauled into court because even if you win the case, it still costs a lot mm-hmm. in legal fees. And the underlying principle of New York Times v. Sullivan is that there's a different standard for public people. And it's, it's the idea, it just it doesn't just protect journalism, it protects the public's right to criticize people in power. And that's what's really being challenged here. It's not a great case for the media though. Because the New York Times made a big honkin' mistake on this, and uh, it's so that's why it's scary to me.
2: Yeah, and, and yesterday uh, the New York Times editor, who was the editor at the time, mm-hmm. James Bennett, admitted that he blew it. Uh, he's and he's no longer at the time. And he's so no, no longer at the time. He got fired. Yeah, not
1: not for that for something else. Yeah,
2: but he said he blew it. He he was trying to rush to get it on, get it in the paper, uh, and so he made the mistake, and he he admitted that he made the mistake. So, but but they corrected it the next day. Uh, so, and Sarah Palin has yet to prove that it really harmed her yet.
0: And that's, yes. the, and so part, that's, 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 that's the part that yeah. makes it the uphill yeah, battle, exactly. is, is being able to prove that harm. Yeah.
1: But what could happen here, uh, I don't know, is this a jury trial?
0: Yeah. From, yes, because yeah. that was what hit the COVID diagnosis. And yeah. so,
1: what will happen is you could easily get a jury who sympathizes with Palin, and then what the Times is counting on is that they would win in on appeal, which they probably would if the courts stay with the supreme court precedent but we know that courts have been deviating from that so i think you know the media is not really popular right now the uh the courts uh are are a barometer of public opinion and so i think this is i i think it's likely that the new york times will prevail but it's going to cost them some money and uh and i also think that um you know it's 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 just a tough time for the media right now in in the court of public opinion. Yeah, I would agree.
0: So here's another one of those stories that we were gonna talk about last week, only, wow, this one is still Going. It was going to be last week when we were talking about it about Neil Young and Joni Mitchell leaving Spotify in protest over the company's ongoing relationship with Joe Rogan and his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. The complaint was really about what he had been saying on that program over the past two years on his podcast about COVID 19 and specifically misinformation and disinformation about vaccines. Well, that campaign that started against disinformation has escalated as a compilation video put together by the artist India RE surfaced showing him using strings of racist slurs. He had to have been using the N-word. I I saw the video this morning that I watched kind of put in context by Trevor Noah of mm-hmm. all people. Um it had to have been in there a good 50 times in that in that which Again, another apology from Joe Rogan, followed by another video talking about what happened when he went to go see the movie Planet of the Apes and working with a cab driver and where he was going to go. And we don't need to get any deeper than that part of it. Again, another apology. Spotify has taken down some 70 episodes in which he had made racist comments or this I heard it Um, was 100. Okay, then it's even more at this point. Um, But they're still standing by him and saying that this is still about his freedom of speech and expression as a creator. Ron, you were talking a little bit earlier in a different context about business decisions. This is a business decision that kind of has my head spinning.
2: I I would agree and I I quite really don't understand it. Uh, I think it was a big serious misstep on his part. Uh, This is more about than just being PC. This is uh, more about being culturally aware Mm -hmm. uh, and understanding the different cultures in our country uh, and being respectful of that. Uh, And so I think you have to be, when you have a show like his, you have to have an understanding of that. And so, it's just, not, it's just not acceptable to use that word.
1: One uh, of the, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, that uh, when, they, when they put it the, in a definition of white male privilege in yeah. the encyclopedia, Joe Rogan's picture should be there. Yeah. If I had a hundred deletions, if, if there was something that had to be deleted a hundred times off my oeuvre, I'd be fired. Yeah. I so, mean, if, if it were a woman or a person of color that would not be tolerated, and I just don't, you know, but, but what happened here is Spotify paid a lot of money to nail down Rogan for their um, exclusive, exclusive distribution, distribution. Yeah. and apparently they did not vet the early oeuvre of Joe Rogan, and, but they, because they've put so much money, they don't want to lose the money. And um, but it's it's a classic example of too big to fail. Yep. And and again, I just don't see that happening for that kind of grace being granted a a woman or a person of color. I
2: agree. And this is I think integrity comes into place here uh, of the company Spotify. And I think they need to step up and and think about that a little bit.
0: Well, and, you know, my nine isn't going to hurt Spotify. But if this is a business decision that yeah. business wants to continue to support.
1: I really enjoyed deleting that app from my devices this week.
2: Well, <laughs> well it'll be interesting to see. March, the,
0: yeah. I'm prepaid through March. They're not going to get beyond. Yeah, it'll
2: be interesting to see if other people delete it as uh-huh.
0: well. One uh-huh. Um, of the other questions that has really come up about this, and Kathy, we talk a lot usually in the context of Google and Facebook about Section 230 and that idea of the responsibility of the publisher for the content that's on it. There are a lot of people, though, that are saying 230 has nothing to do with this here.
1: I think it may not, uh, whether it's legally 230 or not, I think it gets to the same issue, which I would call the Pontius Pilate syndrome of uh, the online providers, meaning I'm going to wash my hands of this. I, I am merely a platform. I am not responsible for any of the content that is published on my platform. And I think, you know, that may have been okay when Mm -hmm. all these outfits were garage bands, but grow up, you're a publisher and take responsibility.
0: Okay, so the Olympics, we did talk about that a little bit two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. The idea that NBC wasn't going to be sending play-by-play people, it was all going to be called. uh, From here, we are almost a third of the way through let me start by asking how much, if any, have you been watching?
2: So I watched the opening ceremonies with my five-year-old daughter because she likes to see the parade of countries, mm-hmm. and we could talk about the countries. Okay. That's it. That's okay. it.
0: <laughs> That's, it. <laughs> That's it.
2: That's it. We haven't None had of time. the sports. None of the sports, really, okay. no. Uh,
1: I've never been a winter sport fan. Okay. It just seems like so much preparation for just to... And, and it always makes me sad that these athletes spend so much time prepping and so much pressure on one event and they're obviously all world-class athletes but i think i'm kind of boycotting i i feel like the international olympic committee has put these athletes in a very difficult position uh, by choosing to put the games in china
0: okay well so i watched the opening ceremonies too um and i've been watching curling. Because frankly, <laughs> okay. I find it to be a fascinating sport that we only get to see once every four years. But and NBC, it's soothing. It is. Um, NBC <laughs> is struggling a bit, though, Fair. when it comes to attracting and keeping an audience. Friday night's opening ceremony had among the lowest viewership of any recent winter openers with only about 16 million tuned in. So when you talk about it, where do you think that disinterest is coming from? Is it? disinterest i mean you're talking about disinterest in winter games is it not enough compelling storylines the events too repetitive or is it about some of that human rights issues that we talk about happening in china i
2: think it's a combination of all of those things actually um there's a lack of excitement okay. i think uh for the winter games uh, and actually it's funny my wife and i were talking about we used, she used to love watching the figure skating but now she's like, I'm just not interested in it anymore. If
0: I have it on, it's only to see when someone falls. Yeah, and I go, yeah. and then they fall, and then but they get just back up. But it's just like,
2: there doesn't seem to be that interest there uh-huh. anymore. And I don't know, because it seems like the same thing over and over again. Uh, and so I think there's just so much going on in our lives right now um, with COVID and other things that it just doesn't seem like it's that, uh, that much interest.
0: Ron, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about some of those experiments on peacock from the Summer Olympics, yeah, right? Like, that yeah. was literally, what, three, four months ago? Yeah. Is it too soon after another Olympic game, too? I think
2: that's part of it, too. It just seems like we just had the Olympics not too long ago.
1: Yeah. I think we might be reaching um, – a, a lot of it, I think, is uh, – all of the factors you've mentioned, but I think the biggest factor is people are getting away from appointment TV. Okay, And yeah, I just think yeah, there are t- so many options that expecting those kind of big ratings, um, I mean, you know, the Oscars are going to have the same challenge. Uh, this, that used to be a really highly rated event and, and no longer. So I think, uh, I think content providers have to get used to a more balkanized audience.
2: Yeah, because I think people just don't watch scheduled TV anymore. I think you're right, yeah.
0: Okay, so before we go, I want to admit it's now a part of my morning routine. I read the journalism trade blogs, the Boone County Sheriff's 7 o'clock report, and then I play Wordle. The five-letter puzzle game challenges players to identify a word through a combination of guessing and process of elimination. You get six shots at it, and after that, it's over least for the day. Either of you play the game?
1: I have. I have avoided it. I don't want to get addicted. But I'm old school. I'm a crossword puzzle person. It's how I put myself to sleep when I can't sleep. I have not tried it. No, I haven't tried it yet.
0: Okay. Why not? What has it been that's kept you away?
2: I have a five-year-old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so one word game is going to keep
2: you. From... We do puzzles and okay. and um, and. Um, Okay. Legos. Put together so, Legos. Yeah, Legos
1: yeah. are very challenging. Yes,
2: yes. they are. Because
0: <laughs> well, one of the things that has really hooked me about this is the idea that you have one puzzle a day. It's not like you can fall down this rabbit hole and keep playing. So for me, it's been kind of a good way to get my brain going in the morning. And I guess the New York Times is kind of hoping there are a whole lot of other people like me buying it for the low seven figures to add to its repository of puzzles and games. You know, this is an interesting thing,
1: and it goes to something we've talked about, Uh which is how do news organizations build up those revenue streams now that classified ads aren't mm-hmm. there anymore a lot of the traditional revenue streams aren't there and I think it's very clever of the times and it fits with their suite they have a lot of different puzzles and so I think it they already have a readership for that mm-hmm. and so I think it makes a lot of sense I love the story behind Wordle yeah. you know a guy who invented this for I think it was his roommate and it was just kind of a a one-off thing he did for, as a favor for a friend and, and he's made the low seven figures out of it. That's pretty good.
2: Yeah, it is a great story.
0: Um, Would you subscribe, though, to a newspaper simply for the access to the puzzles or a puzzle a day? One word puzzle a day. Probably not. To pay for that. Like, I'm Um, thinking, I don't know that, like, I would break that part of the morning routine if I had to pay to play one game a day. But I don't think, I think what they will probably do is package it.
1: Okay. As part yeah. of something, and make that appealing. So you get all of the New York Times yeah. puzzles, or you get the puzzle plus. Yeah. You get some yeah. news, and if that's somebody's gateway drug to uh, solidly reported public service journalism, you go.
2: That's that's that'd be a great way to get more people subscribing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I think uh, those of us who are in the news business have to think of ways to draw people in Uh absolutely and it's important it's important for democracy
0: okay well, we are just about out of time for this week. I would like to thank you for spending the last half hour with us. You can read more about each of the topics we talked about today and a couple of others that we weren't able to get to. You can find those on our links blog under both the programs and podcast tabs at kbia.org. We're also available wherever you get your podcast downloads, including iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to our program again, leave comments or questions, see previews of what we'll be talking about next week and more. Thanks to RJI's Travis McMillan for directing today's show and Aaron Hay for handling the audio. Tim Pilcher composed our theme music. I'm Amy Simons. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of views of the news.